Welcome to Dominating Your Investments, a podcast where you will learn about stocks, personal finance, and creating generational wealth. I'm your host, Dom Rinaldi. Hey guys, this is Dom back with Dominating Your Investments. I'm here with Rahul Hemranjani, a good friend of mine who's part of the Pounding the Table podcast team. And we're just going to talk stocks today in this week's episodes. We're going to talk about earnings coming up. We have some big name earnings with NVIDIA, SEMA4, Lucid, C-Limited, a lot that we see on the, the FinTwit community. That's going to be the first half of the show where we really just talk about not only what's coming up and what we think about these companies, but also what has earnings season been like this year? Previous companies like Pinterest and Cloudflare and many others have already reported. Some have done really well. Others have been underappreciated and others have flopped. So we're going to talk about that. And then afterwards, the second part of the show, we're going to talk about consolidating our portfolios. Both Raul and myself are looking to consolidate our portfolios to a much more manageable position size. Uh, and there's different reasons for that. So we want to share that with our listeners because you may be in the same boat or you may just be starting out and want to understand what is a good position size to hold. So without further ado, just let Rahul introduce himself and what he does for a living. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks for uh, bringing me on, Dom. And it's been a pleasure connecting with you and many others on FinTwit. So I'm excited to kind of talk some stocks and what's going on in the markets today. But uh, yeah, a little bit about myself. As you mentioned, we've worked closely with the Pounding the Table team, and it's been, it's been awesome for sure. A little bit about my career, I spent about eight eight years or so, about approximately at uh, Bloomberg. So I worked in financial data there as well as in product. And then from there, I've moved on recently to Fitch Ratings as a you know director of product management there. And that's what I've been doing for the past few months. So I've been in kind of financial data technology and services for almost a decade now. And it's been, I've been fun. And I've been started, I started investing in 2013 was probably my first stock purchase. But I think I really, I mean, I've, been in like investing since then, but I would say I really picked up probably 2019. I started buying more stocks and just really exploring the markets more. But yeah, so I've been investing for quite some time and, you know, I'd love to kind of talk some more about that. No, excellent. And thank you for that. Just a little brief summary there. So our listeners get to know you better. If you guys are not following Raul yet, he does some great threads on Twitter. So definitely want to make sure to, to plug his handle here. So Raul, where can they follow you at? Yeah, man. Yeah, my, my handles are Emrajani. So H-E-M-R-A-J-A-N-N-I, the num number nine. And uh, yeah, that's it. Just one word. I think you're the ninth Raul, just like I'm the ninth Dominic, because mine is Dominic Rinaldi <laughs> nine. It's just funny how that landed that way. Well, great. Well, let's let's kind of kick it off with some of the bigger earnings that we're going to have this week and some of the companies that are going to be reporting. So maybe starting out with Lucid, I'll give a quick synopsis of just why I got into Lucid and then really turn to you who own more shares and, and, and followed the company a little closer than I have. But it's because you and, and Tony from the Pounding the Table team really were bullish on Lucid and it encouraged me to do my own due diligence and research the company and really understand, is this space big enough for multiple EVs to win? And looking at it from a technology perspective, who is going to be the leader and company to push forward and compete with Tesla? 
or be a very strong complement in the industry. And so with looking at just the approach and the sales model that Lucid has gone with the high luxury car with the sedan and their ability to take their car and go 500 plus miles on the same battery charge and prove it out, not only their testing, but third party really got me intrigued in the company. And considering that back then the market cap was like $20 billion, it was just couldn't, couldn't refuse just putting a couple thousand dollars on there just to see what would happen and follow it from there. So for you, just maybe you can give us a little more highlights of, of how you got into the stock and really what you're looking for in, in this week's earnings and just in general. I know they had deliveries this past October. Yep. Yep. No, I'm definitely happy to kind of share my journey with Lucid. I actually will be hitting one year on Lucid in January with the stock. I actually bought it literally when the rumor first hit Bloomberg headlines that uh, Michael Klein and CCIV are in talks to merge with Lucid. I quickly looked into this, the, the, the company I'd heard of Lucid at that time, but I didn't know much about, you know, like it actually coming public. So I spent some time reading as much as I could in an hour. And I started my position that day and I continued reading through like pretty much from that moment through the end of the day. And I kept buying pretty much every hour because it was very close to NAV. It was a thing. Once the news hit, it popped $11, but you had, I would say pretty much the entire day till four o'clock it stayed between 11 and 13. So I started just accumulating there. And then the following week I averaged up. So I took a really sizable position because at the time SPACs were, you know, just booming and I just didn't want to, I, I did like what I saw initially and I didn't want to miss out on the chance of getting in at the, at the right price point. Right. So I took the chance there based on everything I read. There was a YouTube video that I found right away that really highlighted, I think it's a really like a good video that highlighted all the differences and things that Rollison was trying to do with Lucid and also Twitter. I mean, in Twitter, I think when the news hit, everyone was sharing stuff immediately. So, I mean, you had like, I would say a good few days before the rumor really kind of became something. People really started kind of accumulating and bidding the price up. But as you remember, that stock went or that SPAC actually at the time went from $11 from that rumor all the way to 65. It was one of the, I think, you can call that the SPAC top, right? Because I think the D8 or the definitive agreement is what it's called in, in the SPAC market when they actually agreed to do the deal. So pretty much from January to February, I was sitting there speculating. Luckily, I had a really good price point though. So I knew like the amount I could lose is pretty much 10, 12% from NAV. And, uh, you know, the upside is, you know, whatever it might be, depending on where the stock goes, right? So uh, it was a month and month and a half or I think like five weeks of waiting. And then they finally called the deal. The stock actually topped at 65. So the deal happened and that it tanked, right? When people had concerns on valuation and, you know, are they actually going to hit the road this year and so on and so forth. So now we fast forward and many months later, I'm actually, you know, really excited as a shareholder that we finally have it the road. I'm liking what I'm seeing. The cars are, you know, they're, they're designed and built exactly the way we, we had seen and researched at that time. And there's, there's a lot to like about the company. And there's, this is what excited me from day one. And it still excites me, right? The biggest thing to understand with EVs is it's all one of the biggest like factors or components in an EV vehicle is the battery, right? And as you mentioned, they've already been tested and certified to have the, like the maximum range of so 520 miles in their, in their highest edition, right? A lot of people argue that well, if you get like a second version of the Lucid, 
if it's not the air edition, then it's not, you know, actually 520, but it's still really good. Right. So it's over 400 miles on both, both cars. And, you know, that's, that's a big deal, right? Because that's one of the biggest parts to an EV car is how effective your battery is. So like, this is a really cool stat that I had read a while back. And I thought it was really interesting that lucid cars are capable of more than 4.5 miles per kilowatt right so that's a big deal in range and battery right i mean i'm not a battery expert or a semis like analyst but that's like one of the best specs that you can see in a car right not to mention i think after the deal this number might be a little outdated i tweeted this in july so i don't have the most current mnemonics in front of me and and then we'll probably see some more data come out tomorrow anyway so it's going to change but at the time they were sitting with 4.4 billion in 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 cash, right? So that was a big deal. I was excited that the SPAC would unlock a lot more capital that they would need to really scale, right? And you you, you saw that immediately started investing in their factory in Arizona. And I don't know if people followed their page, but you're seeing showrooms and like like their shops being like pretty much brought up any, everywhere, right? Like I saw one this weekend in Virginia. I've seen the one in New York in meatpacking personally. I, I've, I've been there. I think they have, they've had many different ones come up across the country, right? So I really like that, that they're, they're investing the money in, you know, in the way they should be doing is really scaling their like kind of foot footing into like the public market, like, you know, public, you know, markets per se, or like to the public, as well as in the back end, whether that be in the factory or whatever they need to do with their team to kind of continue building. And another big thing is like the design, right? So they've had, amazing marketing and and videos to share the inside of lucid i mean who runs who's part of the all-in podcast this week they they brought up they talked about evs very like like you know briefly and the reason they brought it up is because rivian had ipo this week and he had mentioned that you know no one agrees with the valuation of these stocks right everyone agrees that they're overvalued but the key thing to understand here is he and this is literally he said this quote unquote that People that have been close to Rivian and Lucid from the early days or as investors in the private markets have visited the factory, have sat in these vehicles, have spent time with the team, and they really know that the, the, they, they think the technology is, is it's legit and the teams are doing well, right? And if you look at Lucid's management team, I mean, it's, it's stacked from top down, right? If you look at Peter Rollison's background, along with other members, right? I don't want to just call him out because he's built a really good kind of team around him and they have amazing experience. So I'm definitely looking for a a lot of things. I mean, through the years for this stock, but specifically for tomorrow, the main things I'm going to be looking at is what happens for the rest of the year. So how many more vehicles they can actually get out through the door. Again, what are they doing at the factories? Where's kind of updates and expansion there and how many vehicles they guide for in the next quarter. And if they talk about any concerns or any ramp up production issues they've had, I definitely want to know that. I want to hear the feedback they've received from their first like start of customers receiving their vehicles, right? Because that happened, I think, end of October, I think October 30th or 31st, that was at a big event at their headquarters. And then the next thing I want to really hit on and that I would love to see, and I doubt we see it, but if we do, I think that's a huge catalyst for the stock is any partnerships, right? There's a lot of rumors that people like throwing around, like Lucid partnering with Apple and I. You know, I'm not doubting it. I mean, it's definitely a far shot, but look, they have the team, they have the design, they have the car, they have the specs to, I think, partner with 
any brand that wants to partner with them. So I'm curious to see how Rollison, you know, what type of deal he negotiates or navigates through in this market. So yeah, that was kind of a little bit of history on how I got into Lucid and what I'm looking for. No, I appreciate that. And uh, definitely give some context here. So following up with that, um, just looking at their balance sheet, I mean, they have a lot more cash on hand than what Tesla had when it was right. I wonder, is this a case of sometimes it's better to actually be the second comer in a uh, emerging market and not be the first mover advantage, but to to see how it's done. Rawlson was part of Tesla, heavy Mm -hmm. influencer and impact there. And now has his own company with a great balance sheet of over close to $1.6 billion of assets and cash on hand. Don't see any debt on there. And you have the Saudis, you know, with a large portion Mm -hmm. of ownership. And we know that that money well is definitely not dry, right? That that definitely they can go back to that if they have to, but you look at the general public and the general public has 30, almost 30% ownership. The Saudis have 62.7% and then institutional ownerships only 4.3% and individual insiders 3.7. And so I find that interesting because opportunities like this, if this plays out to where they are a formidable competitor to Tesla or even just overall a big player in the energy market, getting in before institutions is a great time to expand your returns. And that's what's really going to move the needle, right? Yep. So we have 30% now of general public ownership, but we know that the retail space per se is a lot of traders. There are, like us, investors holding for the long term, but in general, that's a very fickle group, right? That's, that's very trend and very what's in the news today focused. So I could easily see that leaning in more to institutional buying as they execute over time. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that at a $71 billion market cap, what is Tesla now? We're over, over one Tesla's trillion. over a trillion, yeah. Or it might have been, now it's so a little bit because Elon might have short, sold shares, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I see a huge difference in, in runway and so I, I like you, I, I want to hear what are the experiences of those deliveries yep. and what are we looking at projection wise, right? For the numbers. And it's going to be volatile, just like Tesla was, you know, there's not a lot of proof in the pudding just yet for this company. So you have to understand with the volatility, are you willing to share that risk for the, the possible major return upside? You know, now yep. one thing that is encouraging is you look at, okay, out of that 4% of institutional funding, what are some of the names that we're seeing that have already thrown their, their hat in the ring to have some ownership? Vanguard owns 2%. Yep. So they, they're already saying, hey, we want to see where this, what happens here. BlackRock, which I love to see in mm-hmm. any stock holding and backing for a company, owns almost half a percent. Winslow mm-hmm. Capital owns almost half a percent. And we could easily see those growing as execution improves. So I think that's what gets me excited. And also they already 
they already grew their employee base by 25% from December to March of this past mm -hmm. year. So yep. definitely seems like all the right trajectories are on point. It'll be interesting to see how the market reacts to earnings and the financials and deliveries, but this is definitely a long-term play. This could, that could easily see them dropping for whatever reason, even if they have a good earnings this week. Or they could, you know, grow higher because of all the Rivian news and, and Tesla news of, of Elon selling shares. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so there's a lot of points to, to kind of go through there, right? So the first thing I want to highlight, and this is something that I know a lot of Tesla bulls will say, and Tony has said as well, Tesla is the next Tesla. Tesla, there's no Tesla. And you're not, if you're buying Lucid to be the next Tesla, I mean, good luck. Because Tesla, what they've done is it's absolutely unreal, right? So I don't think there ever will be another company, at least in the EV market, that will be the quote. I, I hate calling the comp a company the next Tesla or this is the Amazon or so on. So I just don't. I would agree. Like I would agree. Yeah. So not, I think that's the one. first thing. And I think the second thing is I actually wrote a tweet. So I actually hosted a Sawyer Merritt, who's a huge Tesla kind of bull on spaces a couple of weeks ago. And when we were talking, one of the things that I think I, I realized, I was like, you know, Tesla has so many legs that it's kind of starting to justify, you know, how they're going to continue to grow beyond this EV space. I'm not saying they're justifying the valuation, but more so justifying their legs that they have to kind of bring in multiple kind of streams of revenue, right? So you have, whether it be the robots announcement they had earlier this year, solar roof, energy business, robo taxis, FSD for self-driving cars, them putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, which was a huge move by Elon earlier in the year. I think it was last year, earlier this year. And then the charging station network that they've built out, right? Also, they announced Tesla Insurance earlier this year, Gigafactory. So I still am excited of Tesla. I own Tesla, right? So I own Tesla and Lucid and I own a couple other EV kind of companies, Arrival being one of them and Indie Semiconductors, which is also a SPAC. Arrival is also a SPAC. Very small positions, but Tesla and Lucid are definitely my bigger EV bets. So that's the first thing in terms of comparing to Tesla. Second thing is about the stock price and valuation. So yeah, I mean, I'm totally happy with it consolidating. I actually didn't sell a share when it went from 11 to 65. Hindsight, I probably should have sold a little bit and that would have been better because I could have bought back in in the 20s because it consolidated there and was pretty much sitting there for many months. But it was, I, I, I'm not in the game of timing the market, right? I'm not a trader. I'm focused on long-term kind of time in the market. So I've believed in the story from day one. I'm happy to see what's kind of being shown to us so far. And you're right. I don't think the stock pops on earnings. I mean, it's going to, it's it's already kind of, everything's baked in, everything's priced in, right? So it's had a huge run. It's ran from 20 to 45 now. The, the benefit of this run or this run being different than the last run, a lot of gaps were filled. If you look at the chart, um, a lot of consolidation has happened through this run. And the difference here is Tesla has recorded record delivery of vehicles every quarter. It's become a trillion dollar stock. So there's a lot that's changed from January 2021 till even now. And I think that will continue to change, right? So I think Tesla continuing to grow is only beneficial. I talked to Sawyer about this on the spaces. And I said, you know, the one thing I like about his kind of community that he's built amongst Tesla fans is they're not shitting on Lucid or they're not like, they never ever like say, oh, Tesla's better than Lucid. They're actually encouraging the market to build this new EV sector because it's about also about clean energy and growing in that space. So yeah, I personally think Lucid can become a second competitor. A lot of people 
the bears say that, well, there's a lot of other car companies doing this and they'll come up with a better car. What's Lucid's mode, blah, blah, blah. Lucid's mode is exactly what I said initially, right? First of all, many cars, even Rivian, for example, their battery or their range is like 320 miles, maybe on their biggest, I guess, I guess their best car, right? So that's number one, the hardest thing to figure out. And, and I didn't even mention that Lucid's battery pack is half the weight of, uh, I think it might be against Tesla if they were, if that status, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but it's definitely lighter than Tesla. So if it's not half, it's definitely lighter by a good margin. And that's a big thing because these cars, since the battery is such a big piece of it, the weight of it actually matters a lot because that affects the performance of the vehicle. So there's a lot of factors to look in for when you're looking at these EV vehicles. And it's very easy. And I think a very naive argument to put that, oh, you know, this car company is going to make an EV car. I mean, why didn't they do it now, right? It took 10 years for people to actually accept Tesla. That's why the stock was kind of sitting flat for so many years. And now you're seeing the returns that Tesla fans have kind of wanted or waited for for several years. So EV adoption, I think, is only going to continue and that helps Lucid. So yeah, I'm definitely watching the earnings and I definitely don't think they're the next Tesla, but I do think they have the type of things I want to see in a, in a growth company. And I'm, I, I'm sure that if Rawlison wants to continue to grow this company, he's going to get into multiple legs, right? So he's going to build out his station network. I mean, just look at their design and like even their gear, man, like, you know, selling any type of material that is Lucid branded. They're building that cult that Tesla kind of did from 2010 to 14. So I think, you know, they get into energy, they get into, you know, if they want to get into roofing, they can't, whatever they want, right? I think they need to figure out that vision. And I think we need to hear that and how they do it. But the first thing is focusing on execution of the vehicles and ramping up kind of the, 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 the factories and scaling this up to a, a really good model that actually works and makes sense. And so far, I like what I've seen. And, you know, there's a lot more to come, I think. Yeah, uh, we, we just sum it up here on your points there. So they already are looking at an SUV company yep. coming out in 2023. For, the Gravity, yep. Yeah, Project Gravity looks real slick. I, I like that they're taking a similar approach to, to Tesla as far as starting with high luxury, coming down into that. SUV range. And then obviously we'll probably see some things that are more middle-class affordable to, to grab a much bigger TAM. But what really draws me to the, the story here is, is a quote from their website. It says, we're, we're doing more than designing and building electric vehicles. Okay. So just from that sentence alone, we know they're, they're not just focused on this. We're committed to a more sustainable future. At Lucid, you'll have the opportunity to make an impact on a global scale, okay, keyword global scale, helping introduce technology, okay, they're not just talking about energy, but in general technology that will give the world an excellent reason to adopt smarter energy practices. So even though it's just a sentence on their website, sometimes when you can see what a company is doing with their mission and little hints of what they're focused on and their thought process being much bigger than what maybe people may think a company is about can lead to great returns if the financials look good and, and the trajectories of where that business is headed are, are good as well. This episode of Dominating Your Investments is brought to you by 7investing.com. This is one of the services that I subscribe to and have for a while now. 
that allows you to get a glimpse of all the different types of investments there are and getting also recommendations each month. You get seven recommendations from seven different individuals from their team, ranging in different fields of experts in retail to biotech to technology, and also get a wide variety of stock picks depending on the type of investor you are. Some picks are for high growth investors, others for dividend and uh, more conservative investing. So you get a wide variety with detailed research. One of the things I love is that you get a full breakdown of the recommendation for a full research report, as well as the financials and how the company has been doing. And they track their results. So they post what they've what they've actually in recommended and where it's gone. So it's a very transparent service. And I love to get all the research. They have a podcast, a live stream where you get to interact with those seven investors monthly. And so the first service is $49 a month if you pay on the monthly. If you pay on the annual, you actually can get a discount for my listeners. It is the code is dominating with capital D-O-M and then lowercase, the rest of the letters there. Uh, instead of paying $3.99 per year, you'll actually get it for $3.49. And that would give you the whole year of seven recommendations for each month. So doing my math, that's 84 different recommendations that you're getting. And not every stock you have to invest in, right? You have to go back and know yourself. But having a service like this allows you to do research faster. It allows you to interact with other investors in the area. And some of the team members even have a PhD in different areas as well. So uh, I highly encourage you to, to try this service out and really help do your own due diligence and research with Leveraging7Investing.com. So we'll kind of transition here to another fan favorite, C-Limited. I don't know how many heads of revenue they have now. <laughs> we said it was a three-headed yeah, monster, then we said it's a six-headed monster. They just keep adding. I can't, can't keep track. Maybe you want to just kick us off as far as what you're looking for in this week's earnings. And just in general, I mean, it's a $188 billion market cap. And it, it, to me, it feels small. Like it feels small in the fact that we're living in a world where you have two two trillion dollar market caps of companies and and in one day we'll have a ten trillion dollar market cap. So it feels like there's so much more runway here, but would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, Dom. C Limited is my number one position. Actually, it's pretty reminiscent that we're talking about C this week or today, because actually I had one year on on the stock on my core position this week. So that's really awesome. I, I love actually holding stocks and being able to see them execute is it's the most fun part of investing in growth stocks and actually being able to hold through a volatility, which with this name, it's been a lot easier to stomach because you feel so confident in the way they've executed and their management. I think so many people on Twitter own it. So it's just exciting to see that the stock actually is one of the few stocks that brings everyone and kind of Twitter together. And it's awesome that people are kind of cheering and following it along, right? So the things that I'm looking for, the the latest uh, stats that we saw from their 11.11 big sale, or if you want to call it kind of their version of Prime Day, right? And I think the stats that we saw, and shout out to Punch Card Investor, who I got the tweet from, but I think I saw it on Twitter throughout the day, 
was about, you know, there's a lot of cool things that were reported. So year over year, they had 2.2 billion items sold versus 200 million last year. That's unbelievable. I think another uh, point that uh, Avi had mentioned on the Pounding the Hiva podcast, which I thought was pretty cool too, is a 60, uh, 50x a surge in premium brands, right? So there's also this kind of feedback on Seed Limited that, you know, some of the items they sell aren't really the most branded or kind of like the nicest items to personally buy. So I think that was nice to see. I'm always interested in their their uh, fintech space or the Shopee pay. So there was a nine times increase in transactions there. And overall, I mean, the, the event or the, I guess that day went really well. So I think I'm certainly looking to just continue to see the execution and the financials around their three main legs, which is e-commerce, Shopee money, or their fintech arm, as well as gaming with which with Garena and Free Fire. So you have, you know, those three as being the kind of foundational legs. And then I think also another cool thing that I've been seeing uh, a lot of is the the investing that Forrest is doing into the crypto market. So I think he invested, um, what was it? into the blockchain gaming of this platform called Fort. So he led the Series B. So it's like this blockchain gaming company. I didn't really really read too much into it, but it's the second investment he made after FTX, which if anyone's been following the NFT market, FTX has been a huge, huge piece of it. And they've kind of built on the Solana blockchain and, you know, NFTs have blown up a lot. People have heard about OpenSea. That's kind of another platform. You're buying a lot of these, I guess, digital art or NFTs. So yeah, I mean, I think it's really exciting to see. I think with C Capital, for example, like you said, it's started as a three-like monster. Now it's becoming like six. And it, it's, I'm just going to summarize it this way, right? I literally had a tweet today, which I was kind of just literally bucketing stocks based on trends or yeah, trends and sectors that they're kind of positioned in, whether it be cloud, cybersecurity, kind of this metaverse, gaming, EVs, data, et cetera. And I didn't know where to put C, right? And one time I did a similar tweet and I put C in one of the, I guess, buckets and people got upset because I pretty much jammed them into a sector that they felt wasn't their core, right? So it kind of shows to you that, you know, this company has so many legs that it's hard to justify which one is actually going to continue to lead it in, in the future. And I think that's the most exciting part is you're right in terms of valuation. I mean, I bought Apple in 2015 and it was like, I think, 350 or 400 billion dollar market cap back then and there wasn't a trillion dollar company then if there i'm pretty sure there wasn't yeah and if there yeah there definitely wasn't i think apple or microsoft one of these guys became the first one so when i bought it i think being trillion dollar was actually a big thing right like it was a big deal to actually be a trillion dollar company that was like the runway ahead now we have multiple trillion dollar companies i think it's five or six and the next question is well who's going to be the next 10 trillion dollar company but there's also a lot of these hundred billion dollar companies, like you mentioned, whether it be Shopify or CE or you know CrowdStrike, there's so many, right? Airbnb, that you know, out of these companies, who's going to be that next trillion dollar company, right? And I think C is setting up to certainly, it looks like it that it's possible, right? It has kind of these multiple legs, this platform as a service, this uh, visionary leader that you see in this execution, and it's kind of running in so many different regions in the Southeast Asia market, which is definitely a little bit behind compared to some of the, you know, other companies and regions they operate in. So I think there's a big runway in the the region countries there to kind of grow into these different 
I guess, revenue streams or these different kind of categories for C. So yeah, no, definitely excited to look at C. It's, it's my biggest position. No, thank you for that deep dive on, mm -hmm. you know, why you're invested in it and what you're excited about. They did mm -hmm. just have the singles day sales results, 11-11. And just, I mean, like you said, murdered it. I mean, mm -hmm. knocked it out of the park. And I, I see the tweet that you're, you're talking about, and I just can't believe the growth in one year. If mm -hmm. you were to tell me this was one year, I, I would have to say yeah. you're lying. You know, you, you look at this and it's two, like you said, 200 million items sold last year. Now we're talking about 2 billion. We're talking about a 10x order uplift for sellers joining for the first time on this holiday Amazon type prime day that, that retailers have in Southeast Asia. And you, you go then to this past year, and not only that 10x is now 18x, but then you go and you look and it's 5x uplift in shoppers outside of big cities. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that they call that out, right? Because you think about the, the larger big cities within Southeast Asia and you have Indonesia, yeah. where those emerging markets lie. But they're even saying outside of big cities. And, and we know that they recently just made entry into uh, France into Poland, into Spain. And then they go and say, we also, by the way, had 3.5 billion shoppy chat messages sent across on that one mm -hmm. day and mm -hmm. 9X uplift in their shoppy pay, their fintech play outside of big cities. So they are expanding at rapid rate. And to see a company see this kind of growth with a market cap of 188 billion is quite remarkable. Yep. yep. And it's yep. not just the growth, but it's the numbers on what the growth is. So if we look at last quarter's earnings, and, and you know, I would expect them to have another beat here, uh, 158% on revenue growth, on gap revenue growth year over year. So they went from point basically 900 million in Q2 2020 to last quarter, 2.3 billion, okay? Then let's look at the profit. When you talk about looking at a stock or a company for a path to profit, mm -hmm. as you know, we both want our companies to reinvest in themselves. Right, exactly. I don't want them pulling a profit right now. Yeah. I, mean, I think C-Limited's only been public for two, three years, maybe? I think five years. I think the IPO in 2017, if I'm not wrong. What's that? It's 2021, so it's 2022 soon, yeah. I gotta know, then I won't feel so bad. Yeah, uh, if it I was think it's 2017. Actually, you'll feel bad looking at the IPO price. Okay, okay, yeah. It's the market at 17 bucks. So 2017, you're right. You're spot on. It was, it was October 20. There are a lot of good companies that went public in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was not individual investing then, so I don't feel bad. Uh, but I do still feel bad about this one because I remember seeing it on an article on Montley Fool at $44 uh, share. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, I bet you there's another China stock. I'm going to move on. I don't yeah. you know. I, I, I want transparent financials. And they're not involved in China at all. They do have some 10 cent backing. But you look at these results and then you look at their cash cow, their profitable cash cow in Garena with Free Fire. They grew their digital entertainment business 64% year over year. And then they grew the EBITDA to 740 million 
69% year over year. So they're, they're, they're growing on all these different legs of revenue. Now they've opened up a capital investment group, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talked about investing in crypto. I can only imagine the talent and the small medium businesses that are in Southeast Asia that they could help provide backing to because there's not a lot of banking in Southeast Asia. That's why yes. Shopsay has done so well in growing. Same with Mercado Libre in Latin America, which we know C-Limited has a big uh, presence in, specifically in Brazil. And they've held the number one video game mobile for two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Now they're looking at trying to make it even more of a culture type play with getting into the metaverse, getting into NFTs, and, and we know the in-app purchases. I guess there could be some kind of bear case in the fact that can you ride out a game series, you know, for a very long time to be that cash cow? I think that's one of the only bear kind of arguments you have there. And I think, yeah, that's definitely fair. But I mean, the one thing I would say is, A, they've diversified their revenues in so many ways that I think over time, hopefully that becomes a less of an issue for them and they figure out ways to kind of build revenue streams on the other legs. And the second piece is is capital allocation, right? So Amazon and Bezos is very well known for this. And like you said, you and I want to invest in stocks that are actually reinvesting the business. And I think recently, another shout out to the same, same, same episode that Chamath just did this weekend. And he talked about Amazon from 2017 till I think, what was it? I don't know what the period was. I think it was a few years out. He said that you were able to measure Bezos' success on every dollar he reinvested into Amazon, whether it be Kindle or AWS or whatever else they built. And it showed a 42% return. So investing in a company that's growing in all cylinders is one thing, but then also having the right jockey behind it who can understand how to allocate the capital that they're raising. So you're seeing C Capital, for example, new leg, FYI. Um, you have other legs that they're continuing to build this is exactly what I want to see, right? I want to see how, for, and you're seeing the expansion in new countries of Shopee. So yes, you can have some concern of free fire cash flow slowing down. And I think there's going to be other things that pick up, right? For example, the Shopee numbers that you just saw that we just went through on, on Singles Day, right? So there's so much, I think, for this company and this region. And then I've, I've trust, you know, Forrest's vision and execution so far. So that's kind of my two cents on that. And one thing that people may not know is that Tencent gave, you know, in their 20% plus holding of shares in C-Limited and backing Forrest in this endeavor, they gave Forrest all of the voting rights. So they trust his vision and his drive to be a long-term competitor. And so... That says a lot when you look, and we, we, you and me both, we, we invest in founder-led companies. Yep. There's a reason for that. And you look at their finances as well to support that vision and reinvestment in the business. Through a couple of days ago, they had $9.4 billion in assets, only $5.8 billion in liabilities. They're generating uh, free cash flow. Their debt-to-equity ratio is satisfactory it's about 35 percent but they are growing free cash flow at 28 percent per year 
and they're reinvesting it in new revenue streams and really trying to build an ecosystem, right? An ecosystem where you can communicate with other sellers and friends in the purchasing process of online commerce and having fintech pay that the same pay of shoppy pay can be used in their games and free fire they also have another leg of revenue we haven't really talked about because we don't know really where they're headed with it yet they've kind of kept it under wraps which is their ai arm of revenue yep. c mm-hmm. ai and so i look at the breakdown of ownership Institutions have already caught on pretty quickly to this. It's 50% institutional investment, which is actually, you would expect a more of a, of a company putting these co- kind of numbers up, but Tencent owns 21.5%. <laughs> so then that leads, you would say, okay, well, the general public's going to pick up majority of this, right? They, they know about this company, but actually the case is a lot of people don't know about this company, especially in North America. Individual insiders actually make up the next 16%, which is a lot of Forrest and his leadership team. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the general public at 7%. So more people that are closer to the business are invested in this. And retail's missing out because this is a company that continues to show astronomical triple-digit growth in the billions, right mm-hmm. it's one thing to grow and i'm a company selling 10 million dollars and then i get to my first yeah. million but we're talking about billions on triple digit growth mm-hmm. so i don't know what this this quarter is going to hold you know i would expect that their marketing and expenses would sales and marketing would go up because they entered three new countries uh if not more but fun fact here on their last earnings presentation they actually spent more on R&D than they did on sales and marketing, which that excites me. That excites mm-hmm. me that you are yep. growing more into your research. That's what you kind of want. Yep. Yeah. So we'll move on. I know we spent a lot of time with Lucid and C Limited, but just some really exciting companies that we still feel have a long tail growth story. Yep. 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 And I yeah. think the next one is NVIDIA, which is, I know you've been so high on. So I'm actually excited to hear from you on what you're looking for because I joined that stock much later than you did. Yeah, so I talked about this stock on one of the episodes for Pounding the Table back in Mm -hmm. April reviewing the GTC conference. And I remember coming to all of you guys saying, you have to invest in NVIDIA. It is crazy what they're doing. I've never seen a keynote better than what Jensen Wong did in last April where he also founder led ironically yes, founder all talking about 28 years and if you were to say okay this graphics card company 28 years ago is going to be a behemoth involved in healthcare for computation data center cloud gaming you know robotics the metaverse in the metaverse the business metaverse you know there's so many things that they are involved in. And normally that can be concerning for companies, right? Like that can actually be a concern in the thesis, especially if they're not focused in executing on these different business models, right? These different segments of the business. And so for them, they have to have a great work culture. And it shows when you look at their Glassdoor ratings, it's like, 
like 4.5 or something. Yeah, yeah it's 4.5. But yeah. like, if you look at the awards, like the last 10 years, they've had some form of best workplace or best environment or best leader to work for. And so they've kept their talent, right? Yep. And they also don't issue a lot of stock compared to most companies. So it's, it's amazing that they've done that. And they also even provide a dividend just to show the investors that, hey, you can trust us. We're going to keep generating free cash flow. And these acquisitions and mergers and, and new technologies are for a reason, for a bigger vision, for a bigger ecosystem. And I think Jensen completely gets the idea of platform, platform as a service, mm -hmm. as a service, gaming as a service. He gets the network effects and the high switching costs. When you look at providing a product that is better than anyone else has, and if I can get you into that product, whether it's their DGX data center in a boxes, or it could be their NVIDIA drive AI for their the auto autonomous vehicles, whatever it may be that they get you in to show that it does what it says it's going to do. It's going to deliver the results at a high level and then get you into another part of their computational arsenal, right? Because they have so many different things between their CPU chips, their DPU chips, and their GPU chips for graphics. So, so for new uh, users who maybe aren't technical like ourselves, graphics processing units, dealt with for high computation in servers and gaming, 3D modeling. Then we look at our CPUs, which are the, the, the processors that drive the, the laptops, the servers, and the, the computation, even the supercomputers that they create and they own. And then the DPUs, now they are literally data centers on a chip. They have networking, compute, graphics, everything you need for a full-on data center on a architecture graphic, or I won't say graphic chip, but a, a chip that you, that board you put in the box and you have a data center in a box. And so I haven't even gotten through all of the GTC conference stuff they had just this first week, last week, the first week of November. There's so much that they launched. One of the things that they kind of continued to talk about was the progress they've made with natural language processing, conversational AI. And if you haven't seen the video, it is just remarkable. They have this little cartoon 3D clay looking animation of Jensen and three different engineers at NVIDIA are speaking to it. And it is literally holding a conversation back with them, answering questions that they have you know, you, you know, you've asked your Alexa questions before and things of that sort. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the A word. So I didn't set anything in your house off. But with that, it's very robotic and how it comes back. And this was so fluid. And so you could just see the next step in, in what will be conversational AI. When you look at the engagement from online customer sales or just our day-to-day -day lives, asking for information and what those devices will provide back and translating into different languages. So it, it, I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I still think NVIDIA is a $2 trillion market cap company in the future. I don't know how long it'll take to get there, but I think it will get there. And the free cash flow that they're delivering along with the growth and the different lines of business and industries that they're impacting, it, 
I don't know of there any other company out there that's doing this at this level from all angles, from hardware and software. They are not a hardware company. They are a compute software company that just happened to have all of this semiconductor hardware. So that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm certainly excited to you know, be invested in this company and continue to learn more. I definitely um, think that they have a lot more to offer, as you mentioned, in terms of runway ahead. And you're kind of seeing that with kind of the like pop you've seen lately with the stock price and the valuation is because you see how well positioned they are as a platform for this next generation of technology, whether that be the Web3 gaming continuing, continuing to grow crypto and as well as the metaverse, right? And I think all those kind of themes or kind of emerging sectors per se, you're seeing that in the excitement around the stock, right? So yeah, I'm definitely excited to you know, learn more about the company through, through yourself, as well as, um, you know, more, hear more on the company this, this week and this, this earnings coming up. So uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely excited. And it's, it's a good core position of mine. I think a top 10 holding. So uh, it's run for me all the way from, I think it was like top five, all the way to number one. Now, with that being said, could they disappoint on expectations on earnings? Possibly. Probably, because yeah. even them just hitting expectations, the it's stock might plummet. And I'll gladly add if it does, because they have run really fast. And as you and me know, sometimes when it goes up really fast, it also comes down really fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, I know we talked about your experience of Lucid. I just don't want to take profits off the table because if yeah. I'm fully invested for that company for the next 10 it's just too much of a risk of playing, you know, what new news could they announce? And then all of a sudden it even goes much higher, right? Like, yep. so if I know I'm not using that money for a decade, why do I even want to pull out and take, take things out? Like uh, trade desk, it went all the yep. way up to a hundred dollars a share. Huge run this you know, week, that's yeah. my second largest holding. And it was tempting to just take it out and say, well, it's going to go back down to, you know, $70 a share because of overreaction or some crazy article. But no one, you know, it also could go up to $120 share. Jeff Green announces a new product or anything like that. Exactly. Before our listeners, I would just say, if you're an investor and if you're long-term, truly long-term and holding, you may, you may not want to try to time the market. I know Tony says that, you know, we're timing it something and making a decision every time. But for me, it's just, it's another thing to stress out about. And I don't want to have to deal with that. Exactly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't want to deal with the hassle of a, well, how do I reallocate that capital now if I'm not spending it on something like so if I'm not taking out to actually purchase something or invest outside of stocks. And B is I would hate to see the stock continue running. And then you're just like, well, my position size just got smaller and you never get back into that size you initially had or you you lose that position, right? If you exit it completely. So I think this concept of profit taking is it's very difficult. It's very challenging. And I think that's why I mean, many of us own more than a, a few, a handful of stocks because you, you are excited about so many different stories and categories and you want to be invested in the best names at the best times. And I think in my recent spaces that I had with from growth to value, and that's, that's literally, he summed it up the best, right? You want to own the best stock emerging for the best, like for the longest amount of time. Right. So I think that's NVIDIA is one of those stocks, right? It's been, doing well and i think it's a company that's proven well for a really long time and i think especially for someone like you who was invested in it for so many years you're finally seeing the fruition of a lot of these new legs that have been talked about 
for many years, right? So yeah, no, it's definitely a, a really difficult kind of concept to figure out when to sell and what to do. But yeah, I, I prefer just holding and waiting to see the story continue to grow. So with that, it will sum up our fourth stock here in earnings this week, and then we'll jump into dovetailing right into the conversation we're leading to was, how do I choose what I want to hold long-term? How do I consolidate my portfolio? Because it's a lot to, to, to keep track of a whole bunch of positions. And, and for those who've listened to me before and have heard you talk about your positions as well, we started out with a lot and still are, are narrowing down. So we'll get there. But first, let's talk about SEMA 4. This is a healthcare company, a software company, per se, that is really focused on leveraging AI to provide the best data for patients as well as hospitals to provide the best patient outcomes and experience for prevention of diseases, treatment as well but really trying to get better analysis and better information on the life cycle of a patient and when they are first diagnosed with something and how can we get ahead of that cancer? How can we get ahead of that disease that they have and put a personalized approach to providing a solution and remedy to that disease? And there may not be a remedy, right? There may not be uh, a cure for certain diseases, but how can we improve the longevity of the life of that patient and quality of life? And so with that, they do that through gathering a whole bunch of genomics information and DNA information from patients from multiple healthcare facilities and leveraging their analytics platform called Centrellis, which really allows them to help the healthcare providers better manage the data for patient populations, launch new clinical studies, and compare patient outcomes across the healthcare system. So definitely giving a more personalized approach to get to results faster. Now, they were part of this era. I'll say, you know, we still have those coming out, but there was a, a mad rush to a whole bunch of SPACs in, in 2020. And I got in at $10 a share, and it's now at $8 a share. And it's, it's went as low as in the seven. And so investing in a company that you don't have a lot of data on and a lot of revenue can be dangerous. It, it can, you know, there's other companies out there that we've seen materially were just a story or an idea and people were investing in it. And then the story didn't materialize. So I would be careful when investing in companies that only have one quarter of earnings. And this stock took a big hit when it had to release its first earnings. And a lot of the expenses based on going public were part of that first quarter's results. And so the earnings were very bad. The growth revenue wasn't as high as expected. And so the market responded accordingly. Now, I don't think that necessarily diffuses the thesis. The thesis is, is that they had no debt on the books, high balance sheet of cash from going public over almost, I think, $600 million. They have the, one of the smartest doctors in, in their CEO and Eric Schott in genomics and has a long successful track record from places at Merck, PAC Biosciences and other places really driving results for patients. And they have over 100 plus PhD 
doctors and, and patients, or not patients, uh, <laughs> doctors and data scientists around building a personalized healthcare system. But something like this that's so visionary and so overwhelmingly complicated to complete and achieve, it takes time, right? No one's cracked the healthcare system for personalized medicine, but that's really essentially what they're trying to do and do it in different segments of, of where they've started, right? Whether it's women's health or oncology, expanding carrier screening or hereditary cancer screening. So I really hope to see a better management of the finances on this one, Raul. And I really hope to see some revenue growth based upon all the different partnerships that they had announced and, and the millions of patients that they have gotten to provide that, willingly provide that information. So we'd love to hear your take on it. Just in general, when you look at investing in a small cap with very little information as far as from a company being public, maybe they've only been in public a quarter or two, you know, how, how you approach that? Yeah, no, I, I still hold the stock. It's not a core position. It's not in the top 20, but it's there. I have it. I have a small allocation towards it. And it's similar thesis to yours, right? I think the excitement around a centralist, they're, they're kind of this platform or service they're trying to build, as well as Eric Shad being a incredible kind of scientific CEO. So yeah, no, I'm definitely looking at the same things you are as well. I want to understand kind of what's kind of the growth story here going forward, as well as how they deploy this cash. And I, and I totally get it being early and in terms of, you know, like technology around genomics and genomics healthcare like kind of cont continuing to grow as well as the data that Centralis has is only going to get better over time as they feed more data into it. So yeah, it's a small position. I, I think you hit on the things that we need to like watch for going forward. So I'll be watching the earnings and I'm not overly concerned, but I am definitely not adding, right? So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with this company and just kind of take it from there. And I, I would just say with a caveat for myself and my experience, this is actually one of my larger positions. It's uh, my seventh largest position mm -hmm. and with the least amount of experience of being a public company, there's going to be a lot of volatility and I could get burned too, if they don't execute it. And, and even as promising as the story sounds, if they don't figure out how to be a business opposed yep. to a healthcare system because this was originally came out of Mount Sinai health system, the, that could be a problem. But I, I think it's early, but I, I would like to see some, some really good use cases, some you know new patient data. They do have three upcoming investor conferences this month. And then they also just published two new studies in collaboration with the Mount Sinai health system, which they're saying could significantly advance outcomes for postpartum hemorrhage, a preventable life-threatening emergency that's responsible for 35% of maternal deaths. So it's very easy to get behind this company because of what good things are doing for patients and, you know, providing, making our world a better place. So hopefully they execute tomorrow, they have earnings and we will see. But now we can go into the challenges we have around consolidating our portfolio. And, and this is really why I wanted to bring you on the show today, because for my listeners, it's something I'm really struggling with right now. You know, yeah. just because you have a podcast doesn't mean you're some financial guru, right? I have had 
great success for my first two years as an individual investor and beating the market, but I'm learning every day. And one of the things that I'm going through and learning through hard knocks and, and, and reaching out to other fellow investors and doing my research is really this struggle of trying to decide like who gets the cut. You know, right now I, I started out originally at 77 positions. Now I'm down to 50 and I would like to get that down to 20 or 25. So maybe Raul, could you kind of talk about that? Yeah, no, for sure. So I'm, I'm right there with you, right? I think at one point this year, I was at like 51 positions early in the year and I was just like, this is absurd. And I think we all saw the the hype around the markets uh, in February 2021, that that top that you saw after that run up through 2020, and then the market just dipped, I think 30, 40%. So it was definitely not fun to kind of stomach all of that. But one thing that you know I've been trying to do throughout the year is figure out, okay, who, what do I want to actually keep and what stays there for the longest period of time? So as I said earlier, in this calls uh, for C Limited, hit over a year on that. Lou said I'm going to probably hit a year very soon in January. So there's many stocks that I've bought, you know, not, I would say somewhat early, but that I've been able to hold for a long period of time. And then there's many that I want to get rid of, but I've held longer than I should have. So it's a very hard kind of place to be in because whenever I mean, we're in a thread about this, right, on how to build conviction, and it's a very, really kind of hard concept. I mean, one definition I like of, of it, which is one of my favorite investors, he brought it up in a podcast once, Brad Gerstner, who runs Ultimate Growth. I mean, he said that it's intellectual curiosity plus regret minimization. That's kind of the formation of conviction, right? So trying to figure out what companies kind of make you curious and also excite you and you won't have as much regret not owning that type of company company in your portfolio is a start, right? That's, just, that's not, you know, the perfect formula. It's a, it's a, it's a simple way of putting it, but there's a lot more to it and to add to that, one of my friends once told me, well, if you're buying the stock, would you buy more if it drops 30%? And that immediately always makes me question before I start a position, right? So every time I'm looking at a stock, not only am I looking at the price that it's at, I'm looking at the moving averages, the institutional backing, as well as you know the growth story behind the stock, what products they offer. I'm trying to invest in productive assets, right? So companies that are producing capital from the products or services that they provide, right? Not, I'm trying to stay away from any speculative kind of assets or investments, right? That's my goal. So that's another kind of point I looked at, look at. And then also trying to figure out, you know, what themes or sectors I want to be invested towards, whether that's EVs or cloud computing or clean energy. We talked about biotech or genomics, as well as the metaverse or gaming or, you know, semis, what, what is that for you? Trying to figure out kind of, you know, what are those areas you want to be invested in? Like, for example, EVs, if you were in at 2010, you're seeing that kind of growth right now, but the adoption is still early. You still have, I think through 2030, the projections are really massive by Kathy Wood and many other kind of analysts on what could happen with the EV market. So for me, it's really trying to figure out, you know, do like trying to form that conviction, number one, on that company, right? So you do that through research, through your due diligence, um, understanding what the company is doing, the management team, the founders, what's the story here? What's the product? Is it a product? What's the product fit? What's the moat? How's the balance sheet look? Then secondly, understanding how long you want to be invested in the stock. Would you actually purchase more if the stock dips? Do you agree with kind of where the stock is headed? 
listening to earnings calls. Of course, I love listening to CEOs talk, but that's one of my pet peeves and rules. I don't like buying a stock if I haven't heard the CEO speak publicly at least one time outside of earnings call, right? So I try to find them on a different channel or a different podcast. And that gives me a lot more kind of personal storytelling from them. And I was also seeing kind of their vision behind their product that they're building outside of just talking about on an earnings call. So it's definitely hard, man. It's definitely not the easiest thing. And it's, I finally have accepted or understood the concept of averaging up like C limited. I've averaged up a couple of times. And I think it's been a lot better decision than it has to invest in some other stocks, right? So it's not easy, but the reason I want to be able to do that is because there's another quote I read about it, and this is a really long-winded answer, but I read this week, somewhere on Twitter, I forget who said it, I wish I could give the person a shout out, but it was a really simple thing. It was just like, the markets are simple if you keep them simple. And what that I took out of it, I think that's what he was trying to say when he kind of, when I saw the comments was, you don't need to overcomplicate things by owning everything and trying to buy so many things, right? If you like shopping on Amazon, you understand what the company does. You can break it down and explain to someone else. You see growth in it. That's stock that might be right for your portfolio, right? Same thing as Tesla. Like if you drive a Tesla, you believe in Elon Musk, you use the vehicle, use their services, you enjoy it. You understand what the product's doing. It, it, it can be that simple, right? We, we overcomplicate it sometimes. I think Twitter's part of it. We have so much noise, so many stocks being thrown around all the time. So it's really about staying true to yourself and what, what, how long you want to stay invested in the stocks. Like, what's your goals? Are you a trader? Are you an investor? How much risk can you afford? And which sectors, like I said, do you want to be allocated to? And then starting to form that commission and going through that process of your own on what it takes for you to own that stock, right? What are the steps you're going to take? What's the due diligence you're going to do? And then trying to hold through it, right? So I think for me, ideally, that number is 20 to 25 stocks. And the reason is because I genuinely enjoy being invested in multiple trends. There's multiple stocks that I enjoy and like. I want to be invested in SaaS. I want to continue being invested in EVs. I want to be invested in uh, this AI, metaverse, gaming, So and crypto. So there's things I want to be invested in because I think there's so much technology and emergence of you know, many companies that that's, that's the number I'd like to be in because then I also can actually keep up with the stock, understand what's going on earnings to earnings and not have to deal with as much noise and really concentrate to that kind of amount. But again, there's no perfect answer. Yeah. Peter Lynch showed us that, right? Like Peter was phenomenal at holding, you know, at one point, I think a thousand stocks and still doing a 30% annual return. I think for me, as a young dad and, uh, you know, making sure I have my family life and I have my career and, and then this is, this is my hobby slash passion. There's only so much time that you have. Right. And so exactly. one of the things I enjoy is really doing a proper due diligence of reading the 10 K of going through and watching CEO videos and interviews you and me both would agree for any new investor, they need to, to learn these practices, be able to explain this, why I'm invested in this to a, a you know, seven-year-old in a very short amount of time. And I love that quote you said to keep it simple, right? Yep. Like you don't have to overcomplicate. I think you do overcomplicate it when you want to do as much homework as I want to do on a stock and hold that many positions, you're just not going to have enough time. Like I'm scrolling through my portfolio here 
And there's some stocks that I believe could be a five bagger from here in, in 10 years. But am I as excited as they as I am when I talk to you about NVIDIA or Palantir? No. So then it comes to this question of like still being diversified, but also having so much conviction in the story that you want that to be one of your top 20. Because I, I do think some people, you know, and like the beautiful thing about investing is it's personal. Every, everyone has the right to do what's best for them and how they choose. And so if you only want to hold five stocks, more power to you. I hope it works out. If you want to hold 100, I hope it works out. I think from a safety net of what I'm comfortable from a risk perspective and what statistics show, 15 to 20 is a, is a nice minimum to have just for, for the long sake and, and long haul. Because we do know, statistics say, the S&P 500, if we look back 15 years ago, what it was <laughs> and what it is now, it's completely different, right? Yeah. You and that's one of the most mind-blowing statistics. I forget what how high the percentage was, but those companies aren't there anymore. Most of them. So it's a real feat when you can say Nvidia has been around for 28 years and it still has its best future ahead of it. So then I start thinking about like these small caps that are so exciting to invest in, and, and you can get multi-baggers fairly quickly because of how small they are. You then have to ask your question though what's the probability of some of these businesses really being that that catalyst that become a 20, 30, 40 multi-bagger and or something that I truly feel with all conviction that, you know, Palantir will be a 10-bagger in 20 years or, or sooner or NVIDIA or anything like that, that just I can rest in knowing. And no, no investment is guaranteed, but there is a level of research you can do of proven results that give you that that ability to sleep at night so right now i have 50 plus maybe 60 positions but i think i just have to ask myself like you you kind of laid it out for me of i just am i really that excited about it like i'll give you a good example magnite magnite has been a huge blessing for me i got in at five dollars put a decent amount on playing a trend playing against being the opposite side of trade desk not doing too much homework. And I got in actually when it was Rubicon Project yep. in Bavaria. So, but the management team has changed there. They're, they are executing, they are undervalued. But if I look at the money that I've earned and, and I think it's been a four or five bagger for me, wouldn't I be more excited to put that money towards C-Limited or something that I, I just get excited. You can tell the difference exactly. when I talk about the, 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 the yep. revenue legs and the potential. Potential and also just like the, the 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 comfort of actually like just being at peace that i own this mega tech that's just continuing to perform but go ahead i sorry i cut you off no no you're fine i, I was just gonna say you do have to want to follow the stock right and if i'm honest i have not followed magnite not even close to the amount i've followed nvidia sema4 c limited t doc you know and so Yes, I can hold it. And, and it's, it's not necessarily like the S&P 500 because I only have, you know, 50 or 60 positions. But in general, I could probably do even better if I just and at least be less stressed about it. And yeah. the fact that I can really know my top 20 positions. And then it comes down to this whole idea of are you diversified from a uh, top down approach from a trends perspective, which I love your tweets when you 
break it out into who's doing edge computing, who's mm. doing cloud, who's doing EVs, because there are trends that are going to happen, right? The one, I think the one thing we can all say for sure, unless something happens crazy end of times is data is going to continue to grow exponentially. And so anytime you have a company that's tied to data, data is like the new oil, the new currency. I would even say like the new cash, because depending on where we go with crypto or where we go with apps and everything else, data and how it's used, monetized, managed, et cetera, will be a part of the way we live, both as consumers and enterprises. So I'm just glad you got to share with me, you know, what your thought process is and, and that it is just a lot more relaxing when you only have 30, 20. It is, yep. I mean, so I started the year with 51, like I said, which was much higher than I had in 2020, 2020 or any time before that when I was investing for the many years, I used to actually own like five, six stocks and then just, like I said, 2019 or so, I started investing in a lot more names and it just kind of ramped up over time. And I'm down to like 33 and I feel pretty comfortable with where I am and I, and I already know which names I think I want to cut from here, I'm just waiting to kind of, like I said, see a couple more earnings, understand, you know, if I can get out at a, you know, even or somewhat profit rather than taking a loss. But I'm pretty confident with my top 20, man. Like these are the names that I want to be invested in. And like you said, like the concept of averaging up, it's so difficult to, it took me so long to, to come to terms with it, but it's, it's beautiful. Like I averaged up C Limited in July when the Tencent news happened, I don't know if you, the crackdown with Tencent about oh, the 30 yeah, days yeah, rule yeah. that kind of implemented and the stock plummeted. It plummeted because yeah. Tencent had ownership in the stock and you've never seen that price since then. It hit 255 that day and look where it is now, 350. And that was end of July. And it goes back to the same thing. Like when I bought C Limited initially, I bought it at 190 bucks on Pfizer Monday. So like I said, a year ago, Pfizer Monday infamously was the first day we had announcement of any sort of vaccine and all the growth stocks tanks tanked or plummeted. And then the same day, I actually ended up buying the stock in the 160s. So it shows to you how, and I'm not saying that, you know, that was a great, great day for me. It was horrible. I was, you know, I was screwed in terms of the stock price, but I had built that conviction prior to purchasing it, that I was confident to immediately buy more number one, and I kept buying then because that price stayed for the next couple of months through December. And I was waiting. And I remember that first time when it ripped past 200 and it was just like everyone was celebrating, excited. And I was like, you know, this is what I was buying for, through and waiting for. And now you're seeing kind of all the, the story to continue. play. that's the benefit, I think, or the beautiful part of investing in growth stocks. You see the story play out and it's amazing when you, the due diligence you put in actually you know, works out and it's actually correct. And I think many people have owned C Limited, so it's not like you and I were the first or the best at it. But it's it's great to be part of that story, right? And to be able to say that, like, yeah, I was I was in it and yeah. I have it. And, and with that, I heard someone say this weekend, investing in stocks. When you invest in a company, you do your your due diligence and, and research and decide to take ownership, right? You're taking ownership of, of yeah. shares in a company. Ask yourself, would you want to work for them? If the answer is yes, then probably that is a stock you should invest in yeah. and you should hold for a long term. And I think that's another way of 
answering that question for myself, as well as if, you know, would you want to be CEO? And if you would, what would you want differently to happen with this company? And so it really starts narrowing down, helping me see, you start looking at some of the things that I think go undervalued or under the radar of what is the company culture there? What is the leadership? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, really, are we investing in products? Are we investing in people that create the products and the vision? And that's something that I always take into consideration because not only do I look at the glass store, but I go on LinkedIn and I'll start looking at some of their management, their career paths, as well as just on their employees, right? So I'll look at like their engineers or there's like, you know, important kind of product positions and who those, like what their background is, right? Just to understand like, are they hiring the right talent? Is this talent actually staying? Is this talent actually growing in the company? And then does that fair or compare correctly to what you're seeing on Glassdoor, the reviews are seeing in the market about the company. And again, this is not perfect, right? You're not gonna get the perfect answer. We don't work at that company, but I 100% agree. Like that's something I'm always looking to do. And that's part of the reason why I was kind of starting to get bearish on skills, right? And I told you this, what I read on Glassdoor about them forcing a company employees to actually play the games for 30, 40 hours a week. And the, you know, the CEO having a, not the greatest rating. And I was just like, you know, this, that is a red flag. And that was actually one of the reasons why I sold skills. So those things are important to me. And I do look at, look at that stuff. So, and another thing I think we didn't highlight, which I think is very important. I want to make sure since, you know, this is a podcast you're going to continue doing. I think it's important for listeners to understand is another benefit of owning these, let's say 20, 25 stocks or 15 or 20, as you mentioned, is that the number, if that's the number is, Oh, I, I, I'm afraid of a lot of people that I've been investing for the past decade. I don't know how many truly remember or, or, or have seen how the markets function. For example, in 2013 or 14, when the Fed started talking about tapering or rate hikes, right? And interest rates weren't what they are now, right? Back then, I mean, February 2020, for example, interest rates, I think, were over 2%. So everyone freaks out about interest rates right now, but we've been in a market that can handle higher rates. What we haven't seen, though, is the infl- inflation pressure, supply chain constraints, potential Fed rate hikes coming in, which they definitely are, right? I mean, Powell already laid that out, tapering of the assets that they purchase, record highs in every single index across the board. So you have to be positioned, like I said, if stocks drop 30 40%, what names are you going to actually buy? And if you're not going to buy that stock or add more to it, and it might be because you have too much allocated towards it, you don't, you don't feel comfortable. In your head, you should still be able to say, yes, I would feel comfortable buying more. No, I wouldn't. And if you're not, then that's like, you know, do you really want that position or take that type of risk? So I think that's something I keep in mind as I prepare for 2022, because you're going to have a volatile market, right? And the market looks frothy now. And people have been saying that for many years, but there's so many factors right now. And COVID has changed kind of the dynamic around so much that I think it's important to keep in mind and what's going to happen with the Fed and kind of just fiscal policy, things things aren't going to be as smooth as we were in 2020 going forward. We already saw that in 2021. I mean, you could have bought Microsoft for $240 in June. You could have bought C-Limited for $250 plus or so in end of July. Just shows you the run we've had in the past just few months. Yeah, and I, I would conclude that comment with, it's so unpredictable. And that's why I love being a long-term investor because you can't predict what news is going to come out, what the reaction of the market's going to be. So I would encourage, you know, if there's one thing listeners get from today's episode is that your likelihood of success 
will be much higher statistically if you're a long-term investor and holding those positions and diversified over a 10, 15, really that number, I think is about 16 years. After 16 years, your propensity of beating the market's 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least yep. maybe having a positive gain, right? So I think that's a great place to end it. I think that mm-hmm. you know, in summarizing, we want our listeners to understand, to do your own homework, to do your own due diligence. You can't borrow or buy conviction. Even when you guys were talking about Lucid, I had to to do the research. Mm -hmm. I had to understand what I was getting into. And then you can hold when it dropped. It it dropped right after that. Like as soon as I bought it, it dropped like 40%. And luckily I've been through those times where I've I've seen 60%, 70% drops in red. And if my thesis is intact, then I move on and I add to that position if I have cash, then it really be just becomes, do I have enough cash on side to take advantage, right? Yeah, exactly. Normally, normally I am fully invested just because that works out easier for me. So I know mm-hmm. that's the market, but investing is personal. And I hope people on Fintuit get that. You know, there's so much sometimes, I don't know what the word is, jealousy or envy. Drama, yeah. Drama. You know, you didn't name my stock on the top 10 list or anything. You know, we only have 256 characters, guys. I don't understand yeah. why people don't get that when they say, you know, why don't you put this stock in this tweet or this thread and just like, I'm just trying to talk about yeah. kind of something, not just yeah. every stock that's in that, in that realm. What you were like, thinking so, at that moment, what you exactly. were feeling, you weren't, you know, trying to, to pump anything. People get very, very personal if their stock is not talked about in the way they yeah. want to hear right and i think yeah. people don't understand is like that's not what moves the markets right there's yeah. a lot of bigger players that oh, are yeah. the side sure. of the market sure. right and we are just small pieces of it so it's better we work together in the most positive way share information and learn from each other and have fun doing this right i think that's like yeah. the best way to end this because that's literally what it should be it should be fun i mean it's not fun all the time because it's capital and that's you know going up or down it's just it's very hard I mean, but I think that's part of the process. And that's why I want to narrow down the names that I own. And I'm happy that position I'm in, in terms of like low thirties right now. And I want to get down to that 2025 number. And I'll be very happy with that. Well, excellent, Rahul. Well, thank you for joining us today. Once again, plug your handle and where people can follow you. Cause I really think they could learn a lot. So I'll let you do that right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to self-promote too much. I think uh, people have to decide what's best for them. But yeah, my handle's uh, R Hemrajani. So it's R, my last name, H-E-M-R-A-J-A-N-I, the number nine. I'm on Twitter tweeting about stocks, mostly around growth stocks. I try to be as positive and friendly as I can be. And I think it's been great on Fintuit. I haven't had uh, much problems with anyone. So uh, yeah, happy to answer any more questions. Thanks for uh, having me, Dom. And you know, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out, connect. I think uh, that's that's the best part about FinTwit is you can actually engage and talk to some very smart people. And I'm definitely not the smartest. So there's there's so much the, the platform has to offer. So uh, thanks. Thanks, Ty. That's how me and Dom met. So this yep. is, this is We've got friendships <laughs> all across the world from this. So exactly. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Dom. Appreciate it. So once again, thanks for listening in to Dominating Your Investments. And remember, it's never too late to start. So I hope this helps you get some encouragement on how to look at a company from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at DominicRinaldi9. 
and give me a follow and look forward to uh, providing more content like this on my podcast. Now for the disclaimer, dominating your investment is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This should not be taken as financial advice and is just that of my opinion on investing. If you found that informational helpful and entertaining in today's interview, you can also give me a follow at DominicRinaldi9. Thank you again for listening. And remember, it's never too late to start dominating your investments.